0: Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Stories, profiles, and interviews of courage, triumph, and perseverance. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me as always, my wife. Her name is... Just Jen. The two of us, host and co-host, are taking you on a journey of hope. And we are excited for the show today. Jennifer. Yes. How are you doing today? Well... It's a clear, sunshiny day. Yeah. You seem like you're all kinds of awesome. You woke up with some vigor today.
1: I did. I actually did two workouts in a row, like back to back. I was on an adrenaline high and now I have coffee. So I'm just going to keep getting higher.
0: And I will tell you that when you were done mm-hmm. with your two workouts, mm-hmm. you smelled like liquid awesome.
1: I know I do. I it smell was like just, a man.
0: It was, well, that's not that's, liquid awesome. For
1: me, it is. Really? Yeah, it smells so good.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm going to I'm going to just take heart in the fact that my beautiful wife smells like a dude.
1: Let's just say I never smell pretty after a workout. No. And if I do, I didn't work out hard enough.
0: So I think it's that Peloton. I think that Peloton <laughs> has gotten you addicted.
1: Well, I'm a, I've been addicted to fitness since I came out of my mom's Womb.
0: I know, but I've never seen you sweat and smell like a dude more yeah. than when you do that thing. Yeah. I think it's the competition. I think it's the live classes. Aren't you so glad you had that before the pandemic?
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. I I'm mean, are they so like a glad. four
0: month back order right now or something? It's
1: ridiculous, but I'm so glad I invested a long time ago in my own home gym. Like, yes. we just have.
0: Very fortunate. We have it dialed in. Very blessed. Right. We have not skipped a But beep. it's
1: because I don't want other people to smell me, so I needed my own space to smell in. Trust
0: me. I don't want so, other people to smell you either.
1: My gym is actually called the Girl Cave, but ironically, all five boys like to come into my girl cave and hang out and work out. So. Well,
0: hey, the awesome things happen down there. Yeah. So, you know.
1: I used to have it locked, but now <laughs> you guys are all in there in my space. Uh.
0: That's what happens. The only
1: one that smells as bad as I do is Brayden.
0: Yeah, he he's our sixteen-year-old.
1: That boy, yeah. that
0: boy's got some testosterone going, and he's got some liquid awesome going oh, too. Oh yeah,
1: he does. Definitely. He's
0: he's actually probably grown three or four inches. I feel like during the pandemic, mm-hmm. and he's also uh, physically gotten larger. the The kid's a beast.
1: Yeah, he's raw. <laughs> All
0: right, so uh, let's have some funny.
1: Let's have some funny. Yeah, I want to have some funny. <laughs>
0: Can you, okay. can you deliver some funny for me? What is funny? Well, funny is Sean and Jen tell a joke. It's joke time. Which okay. one of us tells the funnier joke? It's going to be up to you. Up to me? Yeah, to answer. The, our listeners. It's going to be up to them.
1: Okay. Do you want to go first? Do you want no, me to? No, you go ahead. Okay. You ready? Yes. What candy do you eat on the playground? First of all, I eat all candy, but that's not the joke.
0: I don't know. What candy do you eat on a playground?
1: Think about it. What candy do you eat on a... I'm not good at that. I don't know. What What candy do you eat on a playground? Skittles? Do, 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 do. What? Are you ready? Yeah. Did you forget the question already?
0: No. Okay. Recess
1: Pieces.
0: Oh, my gosh. How did I...
1: Only the best candy in the world.
0: No, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups is the best.
1: Well, they're kind of like brother and sister.
0: Y- they're different did you know they're very different? did you
1: know what that they make reese's peanut butter cups with reese's pieces inside what yeah what they do this is
0: new news to me see it's who like, decided this
1: reese's pieces store candy <laughs> company <laughs> office ah, building
0: that's funny
1: boss. All right. You ready? I'm ready. For my joke? Yep.
0: All right. It's a funny one. Okay. Now hopefully house, they're all funny. Hopefully it doesn't make you, you know, come up with too many conclusions here. <laughs> so exaggerations have become an epidemic. They went up by a million percent last year. <laughs> okay. Before Need- I laugh.
1: <laughs> Before I laugh, please explain to me what that means. Okay. And, and then I'll laugh.
0: Okay. Okay. So exaggerations have become an epidemic, meaning they're pervasive. Exaggerations okay. are all over the place. In fact, they went up a million percent last year.
1: But why a million?
0: Because that's an exaggeration.
1: Oh, Okay. <laughs>
0: you, did you not, laugh now?
1: I'm laughing now. But you did not tell Are me... Are you to, laughing
0: on the inside? Because I didn't see it on the outside.
1: I'm talking. <laughs> you did not tell me to put my thinking cap on today. Oh,
0: I thought I was doing so good. I know. And then epic fail. You didn't find that one funny. Uh,
1: mine, was, mine was way more funnier. I'll,
0: give you, I'll concede the victory to you.
1: Okay, so I won that one.
0: All right, I have some news for you. I've got somebody coming on the line. Donna Jensen okay. is her name. And... I'm excited to talk with her, Mm -hmm. and I know she's a little nervous and a little anxious about the conversation, but I think she has a really, really powerful message Mm -hmm. to share, and I think that she's got a story that will touch people and touch their lives, and I think it's a story that could change lives, but I don't want to get too much into it. I want to let her unpack it, but... It's about triumph, it's about challenges, it's about loss, it's about God, it's about recovery, Mm. and uh, I think it's going to be awesome. So, you ready? I'm ready. So, let's call Donna, get her on the line, and let's talk to her. Okay. All right, I've got Donna Jensen on the line. Welcome to the show, Donna. How are you today?
2: I'm doing well today, thank you.
0: Oh, awesome. We are as well. For the first time, I'm sporting a brand new haircut. I got my <laughs> haircut for the first time in two and a half months. I'm feeling like a thousand percent right now. I feel like a new man.
2: <laughs> you so definitely it's been a while for, yeah.
1: for for me. <laughs>
0: It, yeah, I guess they
1: just opened up yesterday, right?
0: Or- yeah, they just uh, they just opened up. Well, they, I think they announced it on on yeah. uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, and so now, yeah, you can well, go down and get care. Well, definitely
1: looks shiny and new.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, Donna. So I, you know, you were introduced to us by a mutual friend, our phenomenal friend Sam, and so I just want to sit down and, and talk with you about your story, and so wherever you want to begin to share would be awesome for us. And so maybe you can just walk us through uh, some of the more formative events of your life that kind of go along with our theme here of the Hope Radio Podcast.
2: So my story is about loss, the loss of my oldest son, Kevin, and then um, what that did to our family and what what it did personally to me. We lost him on Christmas. Uh, he went to sleep Christmas night and and didn't wake up.
0: Oh my! And uh, this
2: was eight eight years ago, and he was twenty six at the time. And what it and what it what it did to me uh, and to our whole family, specifically, you know, I mean, it, it pretty it rocked my world pretty hard. And uh, I started drinking uh, about five months after he passed away because nothing else was helping. And, and it hooked me pretty hard and really quickly, and which started a four-year up and down with my battle with with alcohol. And um, you know what that did to our family. I have three living children, and uh, it was extremely hard on on everybody. You know, the whole family just sort of went their their own ways and dealt with it in their own ways. And unfortunately, you know, I had that drink, and it helped me sleep that one night, and then it just went from there, and it was, you know, it was, it was pretty horrible.
0: So let's um, let's
2: exist, existence.
0: So l- let me just uh, ask you a question about, um, you know, your your familial status. You said Kevin was one of four children. So tell me the yeah. names of your other children and their ages at the time. I know that this happened eight years ago. I'm just trying to get some context for our listeners okay. as to, you know, how old and and who the other siblings were.
2: Okay. Okay. So my youngest daughter, she was 15 at the time, Taylor. And then I had Thomas. He was getting ready to graduate high school. He was 18 at the time. And uh, Jamie, Kevin was 26 when he passed. My oldest daughter, Jamie, was 28 at the time.
0: That had to have been such a, I mean, losing a child, nobody that has not lost a child could ever understand what that's like. You know, Jen and I are high school sweethearts. We've been together for 31 years, married for 26 and we have four boys. You know, our oldest is 24 and our youngest is 13. So we've got a, we had two quick backed off for six and a half years and then had two more. So I, I can't pretend to understand what that's like by any means. And I know it's every parent's worst nightmare. But for the family on Christmas, on Christmas Eve, um, is, is just, yeah. it, it just, that would rock my world as well. Like how would the holidays, I mean, I think that's part of what you struggled with. Yeah. How do the holidays then from that you, point move yeah. forward, how right? How do you ever celebrate again? Yeah, how do you ever enjoy the yeah. holidays yeah. after that? And so
2: it was really hard.
0: So you wrestled with the pain and the grief of Kevin's loss and you had not been somebody that had drank consistently or regularly prior to that.
2: No, I could. uh, I didn't really I didn't like drinking. I didn't like that feeling of. Just that first little buzz and starting to lose control. I just I don't like it. I I didn't like it when I was drinking. If that makes any sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, but um, but it was it just a, a vicious cycle started, and uh, it, it grabbed a hold of me pretty quickly. And um, I isolated, which was pretty damaging for my family and my children. And uh, you know they we watched. We slowly watched Kevin uh, pass, and uh, and then they were watching their mother go down the same road, and uh, it was just pretty hard. And uh, the the repair, you know, afterwards it takes it takes a long time to repair and gain that trust back. It's, I have uh, three and a half years of sobriety now.
0: Congratulations and, uh, on that! You know,
2: thank you. Uh, I I just I wasn't a drinker before. I was that hockey mom, the 4-H mom, the dance team mom, football. that You know, yeah. I was that mom, and um, you know, supervisor in my department in surgery for many many years. And um, you know, slowly things just life just got really really hard, and I I can't even begin to explain where I was at at that time just trying to connect the dots 24 hours a day and just not knowing who I was what this life was about and you know then you know trying to deal with the grief and I dealt with it in the complete wrong way um, you know because once I got sober that's when everything slowly started coming to the surface again and then I then I properly dealt with, you know, the the passing of my son. Yeah, we had um, a... Today... hmm?
0: I was just going to say, we had a a gentleman on yesterday that talked about post-traumatic stress. And he was a soldier out of Australia in the Special Forces of Australia, serving in Afghanistan. And so when he came back home... He just talked about stuff in those emotions like, you know, you, you're, you're supposed to be robotic as a soldier. So seeing the, the carnage and the death and the violence and all that stuff, he he could just never allow himself to feel that. And so when he came back stateside, it just came all bubbling up. And I know what you're talking about. Like I, I was an alcoholic. I am sober now for nine oh ten 10 years, actually. Uh, it was 2009, oh, September of 2009. Thank you. And uh, I know what you're talking about. Like, I just, I, I was not dealing with the kind of grief that you're dealing with, but I was dealing with the loss of my business and what I felt was going to be the loss of my marriage. And, and it, thankfully, it didn't happen. But at the time, I was going through a 750-milliliter bottle of vodka every two days. And so, like, I was drinking in the morning. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all I wanted to do was not feel I just wanted to numb the pain. I just didn't want to feel anything. So I think that's probably where you were. You just didn't want to connect with those emotions because it was too painful. And so the drink, drinking helped to ease that.
2: It did help to ease that. It helped me to sleep at night, but then it caused so much destruction. I lost completely who I was, you know, and was, um, it it was just awful. I was, it was terrible. I I don't ever want to go back there again. But it just starts a vicious cycle of, you know, you feel so much shame for drinking, and then you need to get rid of that feeling of pain, and so then you start drinking again. And and just like you, that's what I did. I drank in the morning, first thing in the morning, and I and honestly, I would pray all the way to the freezer, because <laughs> the vodka was my thing, and you know, I would pray, God, please. Help me to not take a shot all the while pouring one and drinking it um but you know it, it it was it was god it just makes me want to cry i'm so grateful that i am one of the lucky ones that we talk about in AA. that i have not had that well, that final morning that i got down on my knees and i prayed and i begged and um uh, You know, and then I got, sorry, get emotional. It's okay. Because I knew, I knew on that day, and this is, this is the absolute truth. It's no lie. I was going to take my own life that day. And it was going to be that or the alcohol was going to kill me. And so I reached out to my oldest daughter and uh, I told her, I need help. Can you help me get into, and I was in, a facility within a matter of hours. And, uh, I never have looked back. I've never, ever once have I had the urge to drink again. I was completely delivered from that. And I know that it was only God that delivered me from that obsession to drink, you know, and I, I'm not a fool though. I still, uh, you know, keep that in the back of my mind and, and I still do my work. And, uh, you know, I don't think that I'm free and clear by any means. So I still do my work to make sure that I have plenty of tools in my toolbox to get me through. Um, but, uh, boy, am I grateful. I, you know, I, I, I am grateful for the experience. I know that God walked with me through the entire thing. And I wasn't alone. Uh, for some reason, I had to go through that experience. And it it did open my eyes in many er- areas in my life, and it made me a different person. And um, you know, I, I just today I'm just really grateful, and I'm grateful that I properly am dealing with the loss of Kevin. And um, I know that I'll see him again.
0: Absolutely, we 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 know that too, and I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of being delivered. I had a moment I'll never forget it in my life where really I did the same thing. I surrendered. I I just basically I had this conversation with God. I had I had this cry out, and it, and it was like a Tuesday morning, and I just said, God, I can't take this anymore. I can't. You know, you can you can take my life. You can take my business. You can take my family. You can take my house. I, it, something has to change. I don't care what happens. Like I just can't continue to live life like this anymore. And I just immediately felt this this shift of weight, like a, a, a an alleviation of weight or pressure on my on my shoulders. And um, I think Jen and I had several conversations. After that, I think that's when our counseling began. And the reality of it is, is that I had to to make those changes. But God delivered me from that. Like I, to drink that much vodka that consistently for as long as I had drank it. You, you know, I've talked to some doctors, and they said you should have withdrawal system, symptoms. You should have had this. You should have that. I didn't have any of that. And and my worst craving for alcohol p- past that on a scale of one to ten was like a three. So I just felt like he took it from me. Like he delivered me from that situation and I did feel his presence I did feel him come alongside me I did feel like it like an empathetic uh I felt empathy for my situation and love for my situation so like he didn't want me to be in that situation but he was there with me Mm -hmm. to help me through it and so that's kind of sounds like what you're talking about
2: right right you know I, I felt the same way um When I cried out that day, I just never, ever have had not even a tiny bit of a desire to drink again at all. And um, I did go into a seven-day detox center because I couldn't withdraw on my own. Mm -hmm. And um, I needed to be somewhere. And I was so happy to be there. I didn't want to leave. But, um, boy, the repair from that day forward, that didn't take a long time. And, you know, you have to let people... Uh, you know they're gonna. They're not gonna trust you. They're gonna doubt you for a long time. But the way I saw it is, I got myself in this boat. They have every right to their feelings and what, whatever they want to say to me, to a point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then, then at some point, it needs it needs to stop. And um, you know, slowly, it took some time for my family and my children to trust me again, and to really know and see that I was serious about it. But, um,
0: so you were, you you were drinking, you were drinking pretty heavily Mm -hmm. for five years, four and a half,
2: about four, about about four and a half years. Yeah. I I drank pretty heavily. Um, you know, about a fifth of vodka a day. Of course I had to leave a little bit in the bottle for the morning. Um, and just, it's just, disgusting to me that it it just still blows me away i lay in bed at night and think how did i get there how did things go so wonky so fast and um but now you know i put a post on facebook not maybe a month ago and um you know it says it said you know if you're if you're not embarrassed you're not ashamed copy and paste with your photo of so I did, and it was amazing how many responses I got. from. I come from a very small town, Bishop, California. Uh, it's near Mammoth Mountain ski Resort. Yes. If you know where that is. Yes. In the Owens Valley. But, you know, all of those people, just the support that I got from them, it was really um, nice to to see the support from everybody that I grew up with. And then I've had a few people come forward and private message me and asking me, you know, Donna, I'm in in that boat. Um, You know, what do I do? I I don't know how to stop drinking. So that was my sole purpose for that. And, uh, you know, not feeling any shame. Gosh, there's so many people out there that you see and they are struggling with something. And but they seem to have it all together. And I'm just trying to let people know, you know, let your guard down. Let people in and, and, and not put up this false front. Don't be embarrassed and ashamed. It's very real and it's, and it's, and it's here and, um, you know, try and help people to just don't be embarrassed. Just uh, get the help that you need. Reach out because everybody has something. Everyone does. I think people are most, most people are too ashamed and they their pride gets in the way and they don't want people to know that, that they're falling down, you know, and I just wanted to say, well, it happened to me, but look at me now.
0: Yes, look at you now. And I, I think the important message that we should additionally share is that, you know, I think sometimes what causes us to drink is this feeling of overwhelm, a lack of control, like uncertainty about the future. It could be grief. It could be loss. It could be all those types of things. And so what happens, though, is it's this slippery slope. So once you get in, w- once alcohol hooks you, then then you feel like the, the getting out of it is insurmountable. Like, that's what it felt like to me. It just felt like there was no way to, yeah. to ever ever win to ever get back to where I was. And I got to say, now reflecting back on it, it it happened easier and faster than I would have anticipated if I had just, if you do the work, if if you're present, if you want to change, it can happen faster and quicker than what you realize. And and you can get back that semblance of, of your life. And so, you know, I think that's a message that needs to be shared. It sounds like that's what you said. I mean, after seven days, you you know, in the detox facility and then kind of taking the steps forward, AA, your meetings, et cetera, how long was it before you started to, to kind of see yourself again?
2: Well, let's see. I just, I guess it was, you know, it takes it takes a while to, to um build up your confidence again and and then when you know that everybody's looking at you kind of sideways like what do you need, on me it 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 kind of sometimes can knock you down a little bit but uh, I just kept on rolling and I knew who I was I knew who I what had changed in me so it really didn't take that long um it didn't it didn't, it didn't take that long I knew where I was I knew that I had been delivered completely from that obsession to drink. So, but, you know, I, I, um, I did, I made my amends to everybody and I just left it there. I handed it to them and it's up to them what they're going to do with it now because I've got to get going on my own life here. And it, it, it it took some time for people to trust me again, but that couldn't, it couldn't be my main focus, you know, worrying about, so it, it didn't take, it didn't take too long. I, I knew where I was almost immediately, honestly. Honestly. Uh, I am so forever grateful that I was delivered from the obsession to drink at that moment. I just, I did not think in a million years, just like you, how am I going to get out of this? And being envious of those other people sitting in the room, I didn't feel like I was even good enough to sit amongst them. Doesn't that sound crazy? <laughs> I thought, you know, I just kind of shrank down in my seat and I didn't share. I just listened um, because they were delivered from alcohol. I didn't feel like I was good enough to even be sitting in the rooms with them. I never thought that I would be that I would be able to get a hold of this because I had tried a few times before that. And, uh, and it didn't work. But this one final time, it did. And uh, I'm so grateful. And I am honestly grateful for the experience too. You know, it it just uh, changed changed who I am. I'm a I'm a I'm a much better me now. And uh, if anybody out there wondering about the twelve step program, I'm telling you, I think that alcoholics are not. I think it should be a course taught in high school before you leave.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's
2: that good.
0: It really is. I'm serious. I mean. I agree with you.
2: It's so cleansing, and it and it can really just clean, clean, clean out your closets. And you know, um, I think that's just how I feel about the AA program and the twelve steps.
0: I think it gives you a framework from which to deal with challenges that you feel a lack of control in terms of dealing with you know whether it's addiction whether I mean it could be it could be alcoholism it could be drugs it could be pornography any anything that takes hold of your life that you feel like you can't escape from I think having knowledge of the 12-step program would be extremely beneficial and and but I want to go back to something that you said because I think that this is is a really important point I understand what you're saying by stating you're grateful that you kind of went through it i feel the same way from several different perspectives number one it gives me a heck of a lot more empathy for people that are struggling you know i never understood that it just felt like you know especially with with alcoholics or alcoholism my dad was an alcoholic it just always felt like a choice you know it gets to a point where it doesn't feel like a choice it feels like a compulsion like you can't you can't not do it so i have a an immense amount of greater empathy for people that suffer from it because i i understand it like i never did before number 2 i'm also grateful i feel like i'm stronger as a result of it because once you do get past it you feel like you can conquer the world like there's no challenge that you couldn't because like you 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 survived you got past it i'm out you know it's mm-hmm. like you always got to be on guard but like you feel like okay I, I can I can do this mm-hmm. like I can do a lot more things than i than I thought I could. I have more strength than I realized, so I was grateful for that and then lastly i 've just been grateful for the life I live now without alcohol, you know the ability to live a much healthier lifestyle, the ability to be much more aware, the ability to not have to use that as a crutch to have fun or to laugh or to enjoy myself and so I, I get where you 're coming from i think it 's hard for people to understand being grateful for that kind of an experience, but I truly am, and it sounds like you are as well.
2: Yeah, I am. I, I am I'm extremely grateful. I'm, an, I'm a, you know, when I introduce myself now, I say I'm Donna, I'm a grateful alcoholic. I'm, I'm grateful for the experience. I ashamed of, you know, my behavior. Yes, most definitely. And isolating myself and not partaking in family events and things. But, uh, but I am not ashamed of who I am because of my experience. It's who I am now. And, uh, I am grateful. I'm grateful. I am one of the lucky ones.
0: Yes, you are. (laughs)
2: And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. You know, it, it, I have just like you, I have a much more, I am so grateful that I get to experience a sober life now. And, uh everything is just sunnier and I don't know how to explain it. It's just, I'm, I'm just grateful.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
2: definitely. I've always had a lot of compassion for people, but for sure I do, you know, recently I have a neighbor that moved in across the street last August and I met her and we became friendly. But as soon as I met her, I could see that something, you know, seemed a little different. I thought, hmm, I wonder anyhow, it turns out that over the course of, you know, from last August until March, uh, she kept reaching out to me. You know, I'd go to her house and talk with her because she's an alcoholic. And uh, her her husband had left uh, a couple of times and said, until you get treatment, I'm not coming home. Uh, anyways, you know, and I would just tell her, when you're ready, you let me know. And, you know, because I would say, "Are are you ready to go? And she would say, well, and I say, well, you're not ready. Mm-hmm. When you're ready, I mean, I'm still going to support you and be your friend. But basically, in a very nice way, don't waste my time. If I get, you know, this ball rolling for you, you need to be 100% ready for you, not for your husband and your children and your job. It has to be because you want to live again. And uh, so I'm proud of that. We got her into a program in March. And she's been sober ever since. And um, so, you know, because of my experience, I was able to help another human being, another woman. And uh, her family, you know, things are happy and sunny over there again. I see them taking the boat out all the time now. And her kids are coming home. And it's it's just really nice to see.
0: What what a... um... What a beautiful rose coming out of the ashes of devastation, right? right? The ability for you to come alongside someone else that's hurting to recognize it. And, and had you not been through it yourself, you wouldn't have handled that the same way. People that, that don't understand when you're ready, You know, your patience with her, those little small promptings, you know, you allowed, you were able to sit beside her, acknowledge what was going on, not judge her, and then just plant these little seeds that when the time was right would produce a beautiful flower out of the devastation that you went through. So kudos to you. Congratulations for, right. you know, helping somebody. I, I just think that's a beautiful part of this, yeah. you know. I, I think when we go through challenges, when we go through adversity, if you can find a way to squeeze out the maximum possible good from it, it just helps to to alleviate some of the of the pain, I yeah. think, some of the adversity that you went through, some of the struggle, it just it creates the positive right. out of the negative. How did your children deal with the loss of Kevin? Did anybody else in the family go down the alcoholism route? Did they or did they see what you Nothing. were doing and that just made them I don't want to touch any part of it. You know, it's kind of like being a kid when my mom well, was smoking, I didn't want to have anything to do with cigarettes when I grew up as mm-hmm. an adult.
2: Right. Uh, well, you know, I come from a, a family on both my mom and dad's side, grandfather, father, grandma, aunts, uncles alcoholics. So that's how I grew up. And the men my mom seemed to choose, every single one of them was an alcohol, alcoholic. Uh, and I think, thankfully, escaped that until I was 47 years old. <laughs> And uh, my sisters, both my sisters, they are good. They're not alcoholics Neither are my children or her, their children. So it was only just me. You know, my oldest daughter, Jamie, her and Kevin, you know, there's a nine-year age difference between my older set and my younger set mm-hmm. of kids. But uh, so Jamie and Kevin, my two older, very, very close. Kevin was my daughter Jamie's person in life. You know, that was her person her best friend, and she's the one that uh, found him. They were supposed to go skiing the next morning, uh, the day after Christmas, and um, she found him early in the morning. Um, he wouldn't wake up, and so that, she's had a pretty hard time this whole time. Um, it's been extremely difficult, and she's definitely had her, her struggle. She has anxiety anyways. And so she is uh, taking the steps finally to, um, to get better and to heal. Uh, my youngest daughter, uh, Taylor, she was 15 at the time. It, it was just, you know, just confused. No, none of them went towards alcohol or drugs, thankfully. Um, they're, they're all okay. And they're, you know, they're, they've dealt with it. You know, we all miss Kevin. He was just one of those people, always smiling. He hugged me, kissed me, no matter what age he was. In front of his friends, he didn't care. (laughs) Just uh, that was one of the biggest funerals that I think that town has ever seen. Is what the mortuaries that the people told me. It was just just a well-liked person, and everybody misses him so so very much.
0: Yeah, I would imagine very very kind. Do do you, do you but, what um, what happened with Kevin? I I know our listeners are going to be curious, and I know well, we are.
2: Okay, well, um, this was in when he graduated high school. He went off to college in Chico. He grew up with uh, a whole set of you know boys who, uh, you know, all of their parents they had the cars and they had the jobs, you know, with Edison or whatever. Um, the nice homes and um, but these these boys, they all um, you know after high school, they Kevin was offered uh, Oxycontin and that's when it took off. It grabbed a hold of him opioid um, grabbed a hold of him so fast and uh, he hated it, hated it. And, uh, I don't know if anybody knows this, but, you know, just an Oxycontin on the street is $80 a pill and Percocet, I think $50 a pill and then so on. Uh, and so it, it gets extremely expensive to try and keep up that habit and, um, selling things that you have. And, um, and so then what most, most majority turn to heroin, which is anywhere from, I think maybe $10 to $20 for a a little bag of heroin. And so it's much, much, much cheaper. And you don't know what you're getting on the street, you know? And so, uh, Kevin passed from, from a heroin overdose. And, um, since then I have a picture on my phone of Kevin when he was about 11, 12 and his buddies, they're all in a row. First Kevin went, then, His friend, uh, Kevin, went in December. In August, his friend Chase went from the same thing. And then uh, just about five years ago, his friend Scotty went, all of them, from the same thing. And um, good kids with just, uh, you know, uh, uh, just a bad habit. And um, Kevin hated every minute of it. He tried to get help. We tried to help him. But in the end, you know, he went to lineman school. He was doing really well. And then he, in, you know, waiting to, to get a job, he went back to Bishop. And that's when one of his friends creeped back in and offered him. And, and the, you know, heroin is just, there's such a strong, it, it, it's, it's so incredibly hard for a heroin addict to say no. And so I have so much respect and admiration for these some of the friends who have gotten clean, you know, I continuously encourage them and because they could just take one little one one small wrong move and they're right back in it again. And they take what they did at the time when they were using heavily and they take that amount and it kills them. So that's why, you know, I, I, I advocate I'm an advocate for opioid addiction or youth, I try and tell people as much as I can, no opioids, no opioids. Talk to your doctor about different yeah. teenage pain management, man, you know, control, um, anything but opioids. Just don't do it. And I think the FDA has uh, approved for children as young as 12 years old to be able to, to be prescribed opioids, OxyContin. And I just think that's just so wrong.
0: You know, and, I didn't... Um, I didn't realize the breadth and depth of the problem and or the effects on people. I, I watched a show on uh, Netflix called The Pharmacist. It's uh, season one, and, mm-hmm. and he lost his, the, the show Profiles, a, a guy out of the out of the Midwest and the South who lost his son to an opioid addiction, and he was a pharmacist, and so he, he ended up you know, realizing that there was a doctor in town that was prescribing most of the of the pills in and around you know the kind of a pill farm or whatever they called it, and um, like I, it just blew me away. So just watching that, the, looking at what people would go through to get it, looking at how quickly and ferociously it would addict somebody, um, I it just scared the living bejesus out of me as a as a dad for of four boys. Like I just um. You know I, I don't want them to come anywhere anywhere near that thank you number one for sharing I know that's a vulnerable thing to share thank you for your courage of sharing and I, I just can't imagine dealing with that and then trying to find some joy or peace in the aftermath of that so let's let's talk about that let's talk about your recovery let's talk about the fact that now you have found happiness in your life you have found joy in your life. You have reconnected with your family members. You've done the work to soothe over the, the, uh, damage that was done during your period of alcoholism. So talk to us about what life is like for you now.
2: Well, you know, life certainly has its challenges, um, still. And, you know, I'm still doing the repair with my family. Um, it's not easy. You know, there's some other factors in all of this too, which I'm not actually willing to talk about. Um, but the, my children are back in my life. You know, I talk to them a lot. My, my son, Thomas, I'm a grandma. Now I became a grandmother Congratulations. in uh, November. And I am so grateful. I, I, you know, I think about it all the time. I get to be, they live in Texas, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but I still get, I I get to be a grandma. I get to be in that little girl's life now. And so, and if I was still drinking, there's no way I would be able to be in her life.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And, uh, you know, my son, he's a helicopter lineman and, um, so I'm incredibly proud of him. And so his job, he's based in, uh, Texas, unfortunately. But, um, yes, I get to be a grandma. That is just, those words are huge. I get to be. Yes, I love And that. I get to be a, a, a mom again. And, uh, you know, all of those things were just taken away from me. My, my family didn't know what to do with me at, at that point. I mean, they didn't know what to do. And um, nobody could have done anything. No, that's the thing. I had to do it for myself ultimatums wouldn't have worked nothing and uh, even losing them wasn't working i had to do it if you're really an alcoholic you'll get what i'm saying It you have to do it for yourself you have to be 100 percent ready for yourself but um yes i work i am good at what i do i have a happy life i'm sober every day and i get to you know maybe bring hope to other people and strength and encouragement. I get to do all of those things now. And, um, you know, I get to go to family events now and that's, that's huge. It may sound minor to some people, but that was all taken away from me at one time. And that was extremely hard. And so now I get to have those things in my life and I get to work. And, um, you know, do my job to the best of my ability every day. I get, I get to do that. So, um, you know, I get to talk to friends on the phone again. <laughs> I get to drive my car. It's just, uh, you know, and you don't have all of the, all those things because you're drowning yeah. in just a pile every day of, you know, your brain and your body is soaked with vodka. It's a, it's a, it's a horrible existence.
0: So, um, my wife know, will testify to, a- to that. She used to, I used to have a smell, <laughs> yeah. you said, right? You could oh, yeah. smell it coming out of my skin or yeah, seeping out yeah. of my pores or yeah. whatever. Just,
2: yeah. This gross it, smell. It, it's yeah. just a gross smell. It doesn't even really smell like alcohol. No, it just smells. it's it just weird. Smells. It's like yeah. your body is dying. On exactly. The
1: it's like smelled like death. Yeah. It's gross.
2: Yeah. And it's seeping out of your pores and mm-hmm. you try and put on smelly good lotions and yeah. it's no, work. <laughs> yeah. but, um, and I get to do things like I'm doing with you today
0: yes. and, you know,
2: maybe give people some hope to, please don't be ashamed. Please don't be embarrassed. You know, there's life is a beautiful thing. It's, yeah. it's a gift. And you're
1: still and, here um, and we so get many... to
2: talk to you. Yeah. So yeah, that's and a yeah. miracle itself. Yeah. So that that is just you know I'm a pretty simple person. It doesn't take a lot to make me happy, so I'm just grateful for everything that I have today.
0: Let's do this. Yeah. Let's let's uh, Donna. Let's let's speak to somebody that may be struggling with alcoholism now. Like what what would you say to that person? Maybe it's COVID related. Maybe somebody's you know grieving the loss of their. Life to some extent. I mean, I think about these restaurant owners. I think about gym owners. I think about some taekwondo studio. I think about yoga classes and all the things that aren't happening and all the people that aren't generating money. And maybe they turn to alcohol to soothe that pain. Maybe it's some other event that happened a year or two ago, and they're 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 now where you were two years in. Like, what what would you say to those people that are struggling right now with alcohol? and alcohol dependency?
2: You know, I say things pretty straightforward. I just want to, you know, tell them I'm, I'm living proof. I never, ever, ever in a million years thought that I would be in the situation that I was in. Never. I didn't see myself there. And the boy life turns on a dime. And, you know, I understand that it can take you down that path of alcoholism. And, uh, I'm living proof that um, there is, you know, that you can, there is sobriety. I mean, you can live a happy, a happy life again. Um, And I promise you that if if you continue down the path that you're continuing down, your relationships will suffer. Everything will slowly leave your life. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's not, our good existence. Um, I promise you though, everything that is near and dear to you, your job, your relationships, and it may take years, but those things will, will go away as you know it. And, um, it's just not worth it. And I don't know. I just, it's hard for me to, there's help out there. There's support. You can live a beautiful life and have back all of the things and better you know that you, you know that you that you once had
0: when you're ready it's
2: just not worth it
0: when you're when ready when you are ready when you are ready to live again i think that's the the message when that you're ready you
2: ready to, right right when you are ready to live again and 150% it has to be 100% your choice you know, if somebody gives you an ultimatum and, or tells you, well, I'm leaving you if you, you know, and it has to be your choice because in the end, honestly, you're going to end up resenting those people because you didn't do it in the first place for you. You're doing it for them. And eventually resentment is going to creep on in that relationship and you will have not done the work a hundred percent for yourself. and therefore. You know, there's the the whole dry drunk thing. Uh, You know, you're sober, but, but you have to get sober for you or you're going to be a dry drunk because most people that get sober for someone else, they don't really dig deep and open up their heart and their mind to the program. And the program is what the 12 steps and attending meetings and having a sponsor Um, That is what is going to, and prayer, that is your, your higher power, whatever that may be, that's what's going to get you and keep you sober. And that's just how I feel about that.
0: Well said. I think that's very, very well said. You know, as we close out the show, I do want to talk about your faith component. So how, how has faith helped you through this whole process?
2: that is the only thing that has helped me through this whole process. Um, that's the only thing that has helped me from the moment I lost Kevin and some people might think this sounds crazy and and weird, but not for one moment was I ever angry at God for taking Kevin from us Mm. because I, you know, I have this unshakable faith. You can't shake my faith. Mm. I have, you know, my, my relationship with God, um, I knew that God took Kevin because it was time for Kevin to go. Not happy about it, by any means. <laughs> I'd rather have him here. But um, that knowing that I'll see my son again, and knowing that I need to live my best life, that's what gets me through. And um, I know that God walked with me. And I knew that he was there with me every moment of my drinking keeping me safe, waking me up in the morning when there are, I don't even know how many times I shouldn't have even woke up with the amount of alcohol, vodka that I poured down my throat. Um, And for a long time, I didn't care. I just wanted the pain to end. Um, But uh, yeah, I I just, um, I pray, I go in my closet is my church. I go in my closet. I have a big closet, and that's where I pray and I talk to God. And um, yeah, I always feel him with me. It's just uh, something you know that I that I experience, that I get to experience.
0: Yes. We, we know what you're feeling. We, we, we feel the same thing. Thank you so much, Donna. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your courage and thank you for sharing. And if you're listening right now, struggling with alcoholism, struggling with uh, that, that beast that you can't get control of, there is help when you're ready to live again, Mm -hmm. reach out, reach out to somebody that you know, somebody that loves you, somebody that cares about you, reach out and get into a treatment program There is help. You can live life again. You can have a beautiful life again. I think that's the message that I get loud and clear from you. So thank you so much for your time, your vulnerability, and your courage.
2: You're welcome. Thank you for having me and and letting me speak.
0: (laughs) It's our pleasure.
1: Wow. So what did you think about our interview with Donna today?
0: I thought it was uh, incredible. I think that her message about, you know, sobriety, number one, yeah. you know, like the, the courage to actually recognize that she was in a situation where she had to finally accept help. She wanted to change mm-hmm. her life. That whole message of it's got to be the right time, I think was really, really powerful. Her coming alongside her, her neighbor. I mean, to go through that, to go through the loss of a child. And then, in theory, the loss of her other three children because she just had so much pain. She could not deal with that. And then, you know, just the surprise that a slip, alcohol can be that slippery slope. It can just be a few days that lead to a few weeks that end up being a few years, you know, but I think her message ultimately is one of faith and hope that you can rise out of that. When you're ready to live again,
1: I love that.
0: When you're ready to live again, when you're ready to live again, there is change. There is hope. You can, you know, recover, and I think that that's mm-hmm. the message that stayed with me. Yeah, and I, I think
1: say, it must have resonated with you having gone really through it. And you know,
0: yeah, just the 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 alcohol piece, I think, is is an important piece to understand. And I I don't think I've I've realized that alcohol has always been a mask for pain. You know, it's just it's one of those things. You don't get into a situation where you drink daily unless there's there's something that happens, some trauma, some whatever. I don't I don't think it just becomes purely recreational i think it's a it's a mask for something that's deeper and yeah i did connect with that and uh, thankfully i was i was you know relieved of it i think i was gracefully had my alcoholism taken from me Mm -hmm. but um you know i I do think that you live life again like you can see clearer life instead of being instead of living life black and white it's almost like life comes back in color yeah. once you once you escape that.
1: Like rainbows. Yeah.
0: I used to think that the only time I could be funny or have fun was if I was drinking. Right. And, you know, what a misguided concept that is. You yeah. Know? And so now... So it, true. it was great to it was great to hear her story. Yeah, it was. So, how do people hear more of what we've got to offer on Hope Radio Podcast, Jennifer?
1: Well, on Instagram and Facebook, you can find us at Hope Radio Podcast.
0: Yeah, all you got to do is search Hope Radio Podcast, and then mm-hmm. we're on all the digital platforms. So, iHeart, Spotify, Google Play, Alexa
1: you know, will play us. Apple
0: Podcasts, Alexa will play us. Yeah. Stitcher, you know all those all those mediums.
1: Anywhere you look, we are there.
0: Download us. Give us a listen. Give us a subscribe. And if you are so generous, write us a review. Write yeah. us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. We
1: are currently accepting only five-star reviews. So if you are willing to do that, we will be super, super happy.
0: That's how we keep this a hope train a moving on down the tracks. Choo-choo. Here's my hope thought of the day. Okay. Let your hopes, not your hurts, shape your future. Robert H. Schuller. Mm.
1: That's a good one.
0: Let your hopes shape your future. Yeah, I like that one Not too. your hurts. All right. So Jennifer. Yes. We've been doing this podcast every single day of the pandemic when we could, if we did not have something else committed. So let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Should we do it again tomorrow?
1: Of course we should.
0: All right.